Welcome to the Military Birth Talk podcast, presented by the Military Birth Resource Network and Postpartum Coalition. I'm Annie Denzel, and among other things, I'm also a mom and a military spouse. We believe that birth stories are a powerful tool to prepare for birth and all that follows, especially when those stories all have one important thing in common, life in the military. Join me each week for a new story, and we hope you'll find community, resources, and specialized support from members of the military community who are navigating this sacred, challenging, and empowering time of life. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from Nicole. Nicole became a single parent while on active duty in Japan, and she shares about her experience receiving care and then giving birth through the military hospital there. In the episode, she discusses the experience of managing pregnancy, birth, and postpartum as a single parent, and talks about the support that she sought out and received that was so helpful to her. She talks about the way in which a previous abortion impacted her mindset and decisions during this pregnancy, and she also discusses some of the healthcare issues that are common for women of color that can impact their pregnancy care. Here's my conversation with Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining me on Military Birth Talk today. Hi. Yay. And thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. And I'm looking forward to hearing about your experience. Um, But before we dive in, can you take a few moments to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. So my name is Nicole Mathis. I grew up in Fayetteville, Georgia. Um, I don't know if anybody knows where that is, but it's a small town um, south of the Atlanta airport. I basically had a love of learning and I had a love of anything history related for a very long time. So I joined the military um, when I was much later in life. I joined after college at the age of 26 and I actually enlisted. And people are always like, why do you enlist? And I'm like, because that was really my my goal. Um, I didn't want to be an officer. I didn't have any desire to do that at the time. Um, so that was just my goal. Uh, I have one son who is age seven, and I am a single mom. I'm a single parent. Yes. And I know that that's a big component of your story, um, not only being a single parent, but also being a single parent who is an active duty service member. Um, so I'd love to just start by hearing a little bit about how your pregnancy went and what kinds of resources uh, you took advantage of that were particularly helpful to you during your pregnancy as you prepared to become a single parent um, while on active duty. So um, that really was not a goal of mine. I didn't have it in my brain that, hey, I want to be a single parent and, you know, this is just how it happened. I basically... um, have always wanted to be a mother though. And that was something that I feel like I I always felt called to want. Um, However, my turn of events took a turn for the best while I was in the military. Um, I got a lot of uh, resources that were um, incorporated into my army uh, background. So I was able to continue to do a lot of um, pre, uh, I guess, like birthing, like routines and be part of a network of women who were already um, active duty. They were already active duty. They were already pregnant. And we, every day we did PT together. And so that actually kept me sane from, um, I guess, 
I guess you could say kind of like getting baby blues early. I feel like baby blues, you can get them early on long before you even have the baby. You yeah. can get them in pre-stages of pregnancy, especially if you're a single parent. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I don't think people really take into consideration. And they think, oh, well, it just comes in postpartum. And I actually think you can get very depressed as a single parent when you are um, when you're pregnant. Thankfully, I had a great network of people. Uh, where I was stationed and where I was stationed when I got pregnant was Okinawa, Japan. And um, although I was a woman of color, I really appreciated um, everybody in my network of, of women who did birthing yoga. We did birthing yoga together. We did um, lots of um, cycling classes together. And just we had a lot of different resources on that base. Uh, and even though I'm army, um, my base at the time that I was actually stationed at was Tory Station. We did all our PT and all our exercising at either um, the Naval Base or we at, at Camp Foster in Okinawa, or we would do it at Kadena Air Force Base. And um, I really appreciated that. I, <laughs> I think that was my lifeline and my window of a resource to basically feel like uh, I was empowered to do what I needed to do to have my child and not feel a lot of stress and not have a lot of stress and anxiety during the pregnancy. And then once you got a little closer to actually giving birth, did you have any preferences or goals for how you hoped that that experience would be? So um, uh, basically the birthing process was uh, something I really was very new to. I've only had one child and my process was was one that probably anybody would want as far as like just the resources and the people that came into my life at the time. Um, I felt very, very, very supportive. And I didn't even have any family member. Mind you, I was a single parent in Japan, living in Japan overseas. So I didn't have family members near me at the time. That wasn't even a resource to rely on family. So I completely had to find other people to rely on. Um, and people came into my life at that time and, and just wanted to support me. I was very blessed to have uh, three people specifically that came in my life. One was the person who put my baby shower together. And then one was the person who helped me organize my um, physical fitness. And I was trying to continue to do what I needed to do for my baby continue to um, stay healthy, continue to work out and not be too rigorous about it, but still doing what I knew my body could physically take and do because I'm, I'm, mind you, I'm active duty. So I'm used to the working out. I didn't know I was pregnant for three months because I was still working out. So my due date was already off because I didn't really know when I got pregnant. And I was scheduled to come. They said my due date was September 26th or 27th of 2016. But my actual, I actually came two weeks before that. So I came September 18th of 2016. And I, when, when I tell you I knew I was done, I knew the week prior to going into labor that I was done. Okay, like I had, I had a physical feeling of, okay, I can't do this anymore. And my, my baby's going to come any day now. So that that automatically told me my due date might have been possibly off. Um, as a single parent, I would say that I didn't have a whole lot of overwhelming fear that probably a lot of parents have because of the fact of the, like I said, the three supporters that I had. 
And one of the last supporters was my doula. My doula was one of the ones that really walked with me the entire way through the entire time from the time I started my pregnancy all the way up until the delivery process. And I would not have been able to do it without her. She is a military wife. She's a Marine spouse. She's stationed in Colorado. And um, I still talk to her to this day. So um, we formed a very special bond. Um, she's a boy mom. I'm a boy mom. And so over over a period of time, I really had a lot of respect for her because she was still new to being a doula. But I decided, you know, this is who I'm going to go with at the time that I went with her. That really helped me out a lot because I was able to really let go of any type of anxiety that I may have had prior to giving birth. So, um, and I was able to really do what I needed to do, even though I wasn't fully confident that I could do it at the time, but I did, I did do it. And I felt like having her there gave me the confidence to be able to do that. So um, I wanted to be able to be really ready for my birthing process. And because of that, I'm a very list oriented person. So I had my little lists and I had everything that I, you know, wanted to accomplish doing, doing that. And it, I wouldn't say it didn't go as I planned, but um, a lot of the things that I needed at the time within that entire process um, humbled me a lot because I was able to see like, okay, even though your birthing process isn't going exactly to the T as you want it to, there is a lot that you can um, you can speak to now that other things have happened. So for instance, I had Rogaine. Um, I had a Rogaine shot. I'm anemic. So I had, uh, I'm an a, a, a negative blood type and there's only very few people in the world with A negative blood and my son is B positive. So there was no way for me to really... Um, get all the nutrients I needed because he's sucking the life out of me basically. And so because of that, I really had to um, incorporate different, a different type of diet. Um, I needed to do different, different things. I couldn't work out as much as I wanted to. I had to be like less rigorous in, in, in the types of workouts I did. Um, that doesn't mean I couldn't work out. I just had to do different types of workouts to be to to make sure that I was healthy and still not losing a lot of my uh, vitals and things like that. So, um, so for me, that was a big part of the process. Another thing that happened was I had an episiotomy after the delivery process. Um, that was really really hard because my son just shot out. Mm. <laughs> there was no time to do anything. It was just this baby's coming. And I had already, I, I basically gave birth with no medication because um, by the time I wanted the medication at, in the delivery and labor process, they were like, yeah, Miss Mathis, you can't have that because you're already like over the centimeters of when we can inject you with that. So and I was just like, oh, this is ridiculous. I said some other unchoice words, but <laughs> I was more like, hell no, this is crazy. But, uh, but, <laughs> but it was, it was, um, you know, it wasn't something I was expecting because my birthing plan said, hey, get it at this, at this time. But little did I know I was already over the time I, you know, could get it. But, right. um, but that, um, in and of itself, that was a reason why I think my doula really helped me during that la the last portion of that process in, the, in my delivery process. Um, my son took 10 hours to come. 
Um, so that was, you know, the total time in which, you know, the, the whole labor process was. And he came at 1020 in the morning on a Saturday, on a Sunday morning, I think it was Saturday or Sunday morning. And um, I really wasn't a fan of medication. I really didn't want any medication. That wasn't really what I, I had wanted. Um, so I just felt like if, you know, if I had, was going to do it, I might as well, I'm, I have a high tolerance for pain anyway. So most people in my family do, but then also a lot of people in my family that we have a history as well of giving birth later in life. <laughs> so I gave birth at the age of 28. So I, I knew, okay, I'm sort of in my prime to give birth. I didn't ever think it would be one and done. But I didn't really um, go in with the mentality that after I had one child, I'd want a lot more either. But um, as a single parent, I also feel like it's uh, it's worth it to understand that there's so many different options and how you choose to have your children and realizing that it's important to make sure you make the connection with them early because I was really able to do that with my son. There were things that... I was really able to do like even in my workouts where I was just like talking to my child, you know, trying to just make the connection early on. Um, and whatever way that communication comes between you and your child, that's super important, even as a single parent, um, because what it does is it forms the bond early. I feel like it's an empowering moment, not only just for the child, but also for yourself to be able to take on whatever needs to happen in the event that, you know, you're providing for this child for the rest of their life. So for me, that process, I had less fear when I accepted the process and knew that, okay, this is an empowering moment for me to take on what I need to take on. Um, and even with or without the support, I'd still take it on. But just knowing that I could accept that without fear is I think a lot of times where we have this stigma that single parents can't do a lot of times what uh, married couples can. And no, we can't. We're, we're just one human being. But that doesn't mean that you can't raise a child. And that doesn't mean that that child can't be loved or, you know, you can't take on the needs of that child's life just as much as someone else. So um, I think that's that's where there's like barriers and stigmas. But to get past all that, there's definitely, um, there's definitely room to grow in and all that. Yeah. When you talk about the fear you experienced, was that fear more around the birth itself or mostly around managing single parenthood? So I, I had more of the fear of managing the single parenthood than I did the birth itself. Mm -hmm. The birth part, I had the support, you know, I was, they were there in many different facets, whether it be driving me to the, the hospital or, you know, when I had contractions, I didn't know I had contractions or, you know, just taking care of my groceries or whatever it was, I had that support. And very few people have that support. So they have the fear, like, especially in the United States, you know, they, they have little support during the pregnancy portion. Okay. If you're a single parent. So because of that, they're more afraid and fearful of like the pregnancy itself, but then also it even heightens the tension and fear even more so of the single parenthood because they can't see past the pregnancy. So they really can't see past the single parenthood. But once you've accepted that this is real, I'm having a child, you know, I'm going through this stage, 
you know, this is life. This is going to be my life. Am I willing to accept it? And I had to ask myself that those hard questions, you know, like, is this something I'm willing to accept? Is this something I'm not willing to accept? You know, I had previously been through some some horrible things before even having my child seven years prior to the military and that in, encompassed an abortion. And I just didn't want that again. That was just me. I didn't want to go through any of that again. So I said, you know what? I'm going to have my child because I've never had a child before. I don't know what that's like. And, you know, there are worse things, right? But for me, there wasn't anything worse than going through an abortion. I've gone through that. I know what that's like. So for me, I I was able to really uh, pivot my my focus and be like, okay, let's Let's do this without any fear because abortion had given me all the fear in a world that I had just gone through seven years prior to joining the military. I didn't want to go through that. And so I didn't want any more fear. I just made a decision to really just hone in on, let's figure this out. Let's find the resources. They have resources in the military for single parents. They do. And, 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 and spouses in their families. So to say that, you know, they don't have the resources isn't true because there there are resources. It's just a matter of, are you willing to go that far to find those resources? Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about those resources in particular and the ones that were really meaningful to you. And um, how did you find those resources? What were they? Um, and what are, what are some of the things that you think the military is doing really well in terms of supporting single parents, single active duty parents? The resource for me was the postpartum PT program. That's one thing that the military does very well, especially for moms. Um, I think they could do a better job as far as the pre-pregnancy stages um, because, you know, they stick us in this postpartum program to get us back into shape after we've had the baby and before we've had the baby. A lot of times it's better when you're overseas versus when you're in the United States. People in the United States need it just as much as they do overseas. So like a lot of times you have better resources when you're overseas, right, than you do in the U.S. I just see that there's a disconnect with that because what it says is that in order to be overseas, you can have this luxury. But when you still should be afforded that same luxury, if not more of that benefit, because you're a service member just as much here in the U.S. But for me, that was a huge resource in why I wanted to uh, stay in, number one, re-enlist, and continue in the military. So some women, they have uh, what they call a chapter eight, right? And the chapter eights are basically, they get pregnant. Hey, I don't see the reason of staying in, so I'm going to get out. So, I mean, so active duty-wise, they don't see that incentive to stay. Or maybe it's a better option for them to get out because trying to raise a family, being active duty, and your spouse might be active duty as well, and you're both active duty, and now you're having a child, they feel like there's a need to get out. So the dual military and the single parent, they don't have the same status, but they have similar issues when it comes to raising children in the military or through the military and being active duty. So for me, that was huge, um, just having that postpartum course. And then um, the doulas, I found that there were more doulas overseas than there were in the U.S. as well. And so I know that we're trying to shift that and maybe <laughs> bridge the gap there. 
but um, but I feel like women probably wouldn't have as much fear in having children, even if they were without their spouses, you know, because maybe their husbands or their wives are overseas while they're delivering. I think there's there's still some um, growth and development that needs to happen even in that, because uh, you could be married and still still have the same type of fear. And maybe your spouse is just not in the room when you're having that child. Yeah. And that's how doulas are so critical. Um, so I'm glad that you had that resource. And I'm really glad to hear that there were a lot available at the time. How did you find your doula? What was your process for that? Um, so I entered, basically, it was like, a, I got a grant to be part of the, I think it was a military birthing resource network. And um, I got a grant to get a doula. I applied for a grant. Um, and it took me, I want to say it took me about maybe an hour to apply for the whole thing. But I said, you know, I'm going to really, really look for some resources out there and see what I can find. And the grant was, I think, somewhere between maybe 400 to $500. And when I found out I had won the grant, I was like, oh, okay, wow. I wasn't expecting it. You know, it wasn't something like I actually forgot. I think I forgot I did the application. <laughs> and so when they called me, I was like, oh. Like, that's a nice surprise. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was a nice surprise. And I was able to really um, utilize that for my benefit. I took three birthing classes as well. And that really helped me as well at the Naval Hospital. So that by the time I had my baby, you know, I wasn't trying to figure out how to get ready to have him, you know, I was already ready to go. And part of that process was just learning how to take care of a baby, just going through the regular regimen of, of care for a child and just a newborn care and prenatal care and even lactation, having a lactation consultant and all that. So, and I had already known I'd want, I wanted to breastfeed my baby. I, I knew that in advance. That was something I personally wanted to do. Uh, I didn't do it for very long, unfortunately, but I did want, I did do it for at least four months. Yeah. So, um, and then I had to go back to work. And um, so that I had to, I had to wean him off pretty early. Was weaning him at four months, was that your decision or did you feel like you were sort of obligated based on the structure of your unit and the resources that were available? Like, did you feel like it was an option to keep breastfeeding or was it, um, you just didn't feel like it was going to be feasible? To be completely honest, I think in the moment I, it was a little bit of both because I, I was going back to work. I was kind of on a, a routine schedule. Um, I still went, even when I went to work though, I still pumped. So I'd pump at work and I'd save my milk, but then I just noticed that my son wasn't he wasn't latching on as much and just wasn't taken to the milk as much anymore. I also moved him to, <laughs> um, you know, I'm black. So I moved my son to solids pretty early. And m some of that was just like mac and cheese. And then when my son got a hold of mac and cheese and like a chicken bone, like, you know, it was over. It, it came over. over. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I was like, there's just no way. And he was like, there's no way I'm going back to kitchen milk. No, as I have a chicken bone, you know, I'm good. So um, <laughs> there was just, you know, that I think part of that too, that was part of it because I got, I, I, I didn't intend to do that, but we went to like a church function or something like that. And, you know, we just, it, it just happened. And my son just was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm never, never eating, drinking milk again. I don't know what that <laughs> is. In some ways I was like, 
it'll be fine. You know, people were like, are you sure he should be doing that? You know, that's kind of early. And I was like, he'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, if anything, I think I know my kid. He'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so that, <laughs> that, that was basically how that happened. I just really, I, I, I breastfed for a period of time knowing that, okay, you need these nutrients. I saved a lot of my milk and I froze it. But if we just didn't need it anymore, then I, you know, I gave it away because at that point I was like, okay, there's no reason for us to really utilize it anymore. And we're, we're kind of just moving up. We moved up to the solids very early. We didn't do baby food for too long because my son didn't like it. So, you know, there was just, there was this pivot of like, okay, we went from milk to solids kind of early. And I pureed the solids, but it just, it was the flavors and the seasonings and, you know, different things that were in there that it was just like, okay, he really likes this. And more broadly, when you went back to work, you said you went back at four months? Yeah. So 83, 84, 84 days is what you get um, for maternity leave on active duty in the, um, in the military. And I don't think they've upped it since then for women, uh, for maternity leave. I don't know for sure, but they may have a 84 days is what, what I believe they, they still give women. Um, and I believe they give for paternity leave. I think it's anywhere between 14 to 21 days or something like that. And what was, what was that experience like overall outside of just the feeding component? But when you returned to work, what was the experience of kind of moving out of that fourth trimester phase and into going back to work after just having had a baby? How was that for you? I felt really swamped. I did a lot of reading. (laughs) Because for me, I did a lot of meditation. Um, I didn't ever want to get so depressed as to feel like I was having baby blues. But I know I had it sometimes. But mostly that was just because I had little to no sleep. Mm -hmm. Not because I was just so depressed. I was, you know, just couldn't come out of it. But I just, I had very little sleep as a single parent. And for me, that was that's a critical part of functioning well at work in the military is sleep. So like, if it's not personal hygiene, it's sleep that you need. So it's like, it's like one or the other. So like, for me, those were the hardest parts of being able to function well and develop skills well to continue to stay in the military. Um, I actually lost time because of my pregnancy. And when I say time, I mean like tenor in the military because of the fact that I got pregnant at 28 and I, I ended up basically not promoting for like three years because I just, just my whole life like topsy turvied and turned upside down. And I, I got passed over for promotions too, but I never saw that as like, Oh man, well this person passed me over or something like that. It was really just everything that happened to me. And at the time frame of which it happened, it was more so my pregnancy and then just trying to become a mom and just trying to balance that. And I never blamed any of that on someone else because at the end of the day, I realized a lot of that was just me. Like it was just me, you know, I could have, I could have done more, but could I have really done more? I mean, I was a single parent. So I, I never really, you know what I'm saying? I, I try to take like the good with the bad and realize it was only but so much I could do with what I was given at that time that I had. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the support that you had during your pregnancy and after your pregnancy was, um, what kind of mental health support was there for you both during and after your pregnancy? I 
didn't have a whole lot of mental health support, believe it or not. I think my mental health support came from because of the fact that I went to church. Um, I'm a religious person. I, I, I really didn't have it through like the hospitals or anything like that or counselors. Um, I just... I really tried my hardest to really lean on my family, even when my family wasn't there. I I would say that they might have been part of that mental support too. But I had my family. I did have that. But they also were not close. So like, you know, I could call them, but they weren't here, you know, to help me in the process (laughs) of everything I was going through. Right. Um, I don't think I had a whole lot of that mental support as much as I probably should have just once I had the postpartum come through. Um, I definitely like my doula helped me with some of that. I would say partially what after, after postpartum, she definitely helped with that. Um, but I didn't have as much as probably I, I probably should have, or I probably didn't, I didn't utilize that resource. Let's just say that as much as I should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears a bit. I know you had also wanted to touch on some of the health issues that can be common for women of color during pregnancy, some of which you experienced yourself. And so mm-hmm. I'd love for you to talk about that and maybe share any insight you might have for other folks dealing with those challenges about how they can advocate for themselves and ensure that they're receiving equitable care. Yeah, so um for me, I had a great doctor. I had great physicians. Um, I think even in the military, I, I let's just well, me me personally, I I personally believe that the military has some of the best care when it comes to birthing and prenatal um, as far across the country. Um, and I think that the way that in which they take care of that for the just their military service members speaks volumes. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. Um, so I will say that. However, um, for women of color, I don't, I never personally had an experience where, um, I had to feel like I had to overly advocate for myself, even though I have had friends who have had to do that. Um, but when it comes to uterine fibroids and um specifically i can say that because women are of color are more prone to have those there's this uh stigma almost um of that okay well because you have uterine fibroids you might not be able to get pregnant again which i think personally i don't think it's wise to even say that because you just don't know, right? So um, for people who want to get pregnant, for people who want to have kids, um, for me, I just, like even now I have uterine fibroids and uh, an OBGYN told me, hey, do you, you know, you might want to start thinking like, do you want to have kids again? Because you might not be able to. And I recognize that, like I said, women of color, for a woman of color, that is a, that's a huge factor. However, um, women of color are also a demographic that, they have their children a lot later than a lot of the other demographics. And so you see them have children later and they're also okay. You see them have children later and they also don't, they do have issues having kids later. So it's, I think it's dependent upon 
genetics a little bit because my, me personally, my family, um, the women who are anywhere between 35 to 45, they still have kids and we haven't had any issues. So we have kids later in life. You'll see a lot of uh, women of color who have kids later in life. And um, I, I don't think that that's, in, uh, you know, I think that that's something that that needs to be assessed more in the, in the especially in the African-American community. Um, because, you know, if you're seeing that these women are having kids later in life, there's a reason for that. If there's issues with that, yes, they need to be addressed. But then we also need to advocate for ourselves like, hey, OK, like we may not understand all of the things that go on genetically with our with ourselves, you know, just because we're women of color. But I think that's one way in which we need to better advocate for ourselves. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, you talked a bit about the that your experience with the care in the military has been generally pretty positive, it sounds like. What were your expectations going into pregnancy and birth around the care that you'd receive? And how were those expectations met or exceeded? Or what did you learn about the way that the military treats or manages pregnancy and birth for its service members over the course of your experience? Well, so one thing that exceeded my expectations was definitely just caring for the child after birth to me was just amazing. Um, I definitely felt comfortable. I felt safe, you know, um, even when I wasn't sure about how to breastfeed my child at the time that, you know, he came out, but I felt comfortable enough to really, um, not have any fear about the whole process of like, uh, even delivery. Um, delivery was, was hard as it is for every woman, but even delivery, I didn't have a, a total amount of fear. I just, you know, we just wanted it over with. Right. So, um, <laughs> so for me, that was that, I think that's a, that's one big, one big part of it. I, um, I definitely envisioned <laughs> that my birthing process would be something to where I could look back and, you know, okay, I could, I could definitely grow from this. I can look, figure out like if, you know, if I ever have kids down the road or something like that, there's always something you can learn, right? You can't really make the same mistake twice and you won't know which mistakes you've made if you haven't made them, right? But you can always learn from something. And I, I really uh, was able to take away uh, that the delivery process, the doctors, even the nurses that I had um, really were there to care. And I really, I felt that. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, what's been one of your greatest joys in becoming a parent? Telling my child, no, he can't have that. No. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> um, I, I think one of my greatest joys in parenting is just the fact that right now my child is seven. So it's been seven years since I've had you know, since I went through the process, but I also taught elementary school before I even had kids and I've always loved kids. So, um, I find that this age is one where I'm able to really see the development of my child and not just, uh, tell my child no <laughs> all the time, but, um, but really see the development and really appreciate, you know, the personality and, um, try and be a little bit more patient. I'm not a very patient mom, but, <laughs> but I try and be a little bit more patient. You know, he's growing and he's trying to understand the world and I need to be patient and trying to understand that too. Hmm. Yeah. Did your relationship with the military evolve at all during the course of your pregnancy and birth and postpartum? Yes. 
Um, yes. I was very uptight when I joined the military. I am very much a perfectionist. And when I became a mom, uh, I won't say I'm not, I, I just stopped being a perfectionist. I won't say that. But I just really uh, started to realize that certain things just don't matter as much. That's what I'll say. Um, and I appreciate that now because I give myself grace in being able to train my child with that too and um, to lead and, and instruct my child. And I think giving ourselves grace is a huge part of the pregnancy and the labor process, you know, like you had all these expectations, you know, and they didn't go your way or they might have gone half your way, which is what happened to me. So for me, uh, I just really think, you know, giving yourself grace in the midst of all that is super important because, you know, you have to be ready to anticipate that, you know, something just might not go your way. Um, and none of my career went my way at all. I thought I was going to join the army to deploy and go overseas and do a, a few other really like badass things. And that did not happen. I, my 10 years was basically raising a child in the army. So, you know, I had a different type of army life and I, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if you go in with these expectations, thinking that you'll have, or you'll be doing just exactly what you want, you should give yourself some breathing room because you don't always know if that will actually happen. Yeah. And that's such an important skill to model yeah. too for kids. I have a toddler, so it's constantly, you know, <laughs> learning how how boundaries and expectations work and the frustration, seeing seeing those frustrations come through for the first time in someone's life is really eye-opening. So yeah. um it sounds like a really good skill to be able to model um for your kids at, at any age. So thanks for sharing that. Um before we sign off here. Um, what's one takeaway that you'd like to leave our listeners with um, after having heard your stories with respect to either birthing within the military community or, you know, single parenting or anything else that you reflected on today? I think one of the takeaways is <laughs> my son always tells me he sings a song that says, you can't always get what you want. So I think that's... <laughs> I think that's a good takeaway because you can't, you can't always get what you want, but um, we can do the best that we can, right? With what we're given. And if that means uh, we uh, we're given a, a child and we're having to go through pregnancy or delivery or labor, um, we, we, there's no real need to feel overwhelmed in the process, right? Even though we can't always get what we want, but um, that does mean that we can find the resources we need and we can get the things that we need. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Military Birth Talk podcast. Join us again next week for another birth story, and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. To follow along on social media, you can find us on Instagram at at militarybirthtalk. To learn more about the Military Birth Resource Network and Postpartum Coalition, please visit mbrnpc.org or find us on Facebook. See you next week.